Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my next guest, I want to start by thanking you, the listeners, for your feedback to our podcast, as well as remind and even encourage you to send any of your comments or your suggestions for the show, any questions that you might have, send them directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd definitely appreciate it if you were to rate the show and comment on iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever platform you use to listen in. And as well, you may want to start to follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thank you again for the feedback you provide the Everyday Millionaire team and I. It's always appreciated. So let's get this show started. My guest today is Edna Keep. She is a wonderful lady, a business owner, a real estate investor, a real estate coach, She is a wife, she is a mother, and she's much more than even all of that. So having had the opportunity to begin to get to know Edna Keep and gain just a small glimpse of her life's journey, and as I consider words that I would use to describe her to you, I can't help but think of words like brave and tenacity, grit, resilience, of course, smart and driven. And while I believe any of these to be absolutely true of who Edna Keep is, I can't help but also think of family and funny and caring and and certainly self-aware. Like many of my guests, her journey to the milestone I call being an everyday millionaire manifested through dealing with the twists and the turns of her whole life's journey, which there are many. And today I'm going to talk about those with her. But before Edna and I get started, let's begin by me giving you a bit of her current bio. Her business 3D Real Estate Investments Limited was established in 2007, back when both Edna and her husband Warren became RAIN members. Now, 10 years later, using many of the lessons that they've learned from RAIN and the RAIN community, they've acquired over 400 doors. In 2010, Edna and Warren were introduced into the Tigrant Learning Hall of Fame for their startup success at utilizing the strategies she and Warren had learned and taken action implementing. The majority of their portfolio is invested in Saskatchewan with holdings in Saskatoon, LaRange, and Regina, but they have recently expanded with partners into Winnipeg, Manitoba. 
Their foundational strategy is of a long-term buy and hold rentals where they focus on buying great properties in economically strong areas and attracting and keeping great tenants. So thereby maximizing their mortgage paydown. For Edna, this is a constant that keeps her focused and ensures she's building her family's financial future through real estate. Edna has other businesses as well that generates multiple stream of immediate income. So aside from the long-term buy and hold to generate income, she has other businesses, including a 50% ownership of Tomco Homes, which is a small volume custom home and commercial builder. She also owns a feed lot cleaning business and a real estate training coaching program and business. As a serious entrepreneur, Edna is always looking to expand her real estate portfolio and businesses, and she believes that by building and growing great relationships and creating win-win opportunities, she'll always generate and attract the investors and partners that she requires to fulfill on her intention of growing and expanding her businesses. So I'm looking forward to this conversation, and let's get started. Edna, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. It's great to have you here finally. Thank you so much, Patrick. I'm very excited to be on. You've got so much going on in your life right now. You're married, you've got children, you've got an extensive portfolio, you've got a business that you're running. You've got a lot. When I look at your biography and the things that you you have on your plate right now, uh, we could spend 10 minutes you know, getting into this. But the question I have for you is that if I'm just running into Edna and I want a kind of a quick elevator pitch, which is how I like to lead into these conversations, what are you saying to people when somebody says, Edna, what do you do? I help people uh, create passive income through real estate. That's really short elevator pitch. I'm going to ask you to go a little bit deeper than that. I can see where that's an effective one because it did exactly what you wanted to do, which went, well, tell me more about that. And I just want to know a little bit more about that. Okay, absolutely. And you know, there's a reason why I go short like that, Patrick, because I have two ways I can go with it. Uh, One, I look for investors. And when I look for students who are looking to do what I do. So generally, when I say that, they, they're either going to say, Oh, how do I, how do I invest? If they're a person that might be interested in investing or some comment that would make me go that route. Or they might say, oh, I'd be interested in learning to do that. Or how do you do that? And then I might go more into uh, my my coaching program. So that that is why I keep it really short. So you're right. There's a reason for that. Um, but yeah, so generally when we started, uh, because my background was as a financial advisor, one of the things that I could do very quickly was talk to people about investing in real estate. And we attracted a lot of investors. Um and and I think part of that was I just knew how to talk to investors. I've been doing it for 15 years. And when I seen the power of real estate, because I really didn't understand real estate when I was selling mutual funds, it was easier than for me to sell real estate as an, as an investment. So we we built our portfolio primarily with other people's money uh, with about 25 investors. And we're now sitting at $47 million worth of real estate. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Now, before I go there, because uh, you've got lots that I want to talk to you about, about what you're doing and and what you've got on your plate right now. But when I'm talking to the everyday millionaire guests that I have on, I, I like to go back a little bit because in my, as much as it is about what you do and 
and how you're doing it. I want to know a little bit more about what was your background. You know, were you, uh, I know that you were born in small town Saskatchewan, so I want to hear a little bit about that. And uh, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Somebody didn't hand this all to you and said, no. you know, follow me and I'll hold your hand and take you along the way. So give me a little bit of background about where it all started and, and how it was for you. And, and go back to raised on the farm in small town Saskatchewan, because that's really where you started. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was, I was raised on a small town just outside Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. And uh, I have six brothers and a sister. And uh, I loved being from a big family. I'm a very social person, so I, I loved having lots of people around. I always thought that was just great. And uh, when when I had my first daughter at the age of 16, well, uh, my options were kind of limited at that point. Uh, and, and really, that's where I consider the first big turning point for me in my life, because uh, I was kind of carefree and silly and didn't really care about school. I didn't really care. like I just didn't care about getting good marks. It was more about being social at school. That was because I loved school, but it wasn't about the marks. And uh, then I, I realized that I had to grow up. I had to start taking care of my daughter. Uh, my parents helped a lot, an awful lot. But uh, I, I, when I look back now, I realized it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because uh, I had to learn to, to take care of myself and I had to learn to take care of my daughter financially. And uh, I, I think when you have children, as probably anyone knows, the focus just is not on you anymore. Uh, so, so that maybe happened to me a little bit earlier than most people, but made me focus on uh, the type of lifestyle that I wanted to have for us. I, and I didn't want it. I didn't want it to be a poor lifestyle. I wanted it to be a good lifestyle. So, you know, we chatted a little bit earlier, and you said that quite early on, you were pretty inspired to uh, make money, and uh, probably because you're in a large family, and you went and looked around and go, I'm not working this hard. I need to uh, earn an income that takes me above that. <laughs> you know what? That is exactly right, because being on a farm, and I mean, my mom worked so hard, and she had eight kids, and, and I loved kids, too. I always knew that I wanted to have kids, but I didn't want to have to work like, like she did and or my dad. Uh, they, I mean, I remember my mom, uh, the washing machines that we had. Now we can just throw them in there, but the old washing machines and, and, and the work and and. I, I I knew I wanted more than that. I, I watched TV enough to know that uh, there were people out there that had housekeepers and cooks and stuff like that, and and I decided that was the lifestyle I wanted. And and you know, for years people told me I was just dreaming that uh, anybody with just a grade twelve education uh, and a single mom, no doubt. There's just no chance of doing that. So people would laugh at me when I would talk about that kind of stuff, you know. I don't want to be cleaning my own house. I don't want to be cooking all the time. I wanted something different. So you saw something out there, even at an early age, at a young age, that said, you know, there's more to life than, you know, cleaning house and doing laundry and working the farm. And you got off the farm quite young as well, even though you were a single mother. Yes, I did, yeah. Uh, first chance I got, I, I moved into town. I, I did get a pretty decent job at a clinic, uh, although I got bored pretty fast. 
uh, after a couple of years. I, I just, and, and, you know, I, I wanted more, but I didn't know how to get it. I, I didn't know anybody really who had money. Uh, I had one cousin that was wealthy. And all I knew is that he was in finance. Uh, he used to work at a bank. And, and that was the only person I'd ever heard of that was wealthy. I didn't know anybody. I always thought, well, something to do with bookkeeping. That was my first start. And then something to do with accounting. Then, then office administration. That was about as far as I could think, kind of one step at a time. It wasn't any big, big jumps. I just tried stuff. Uh, if I liked it, I moved on to it. And if I didn't like it, I tried something different. And uh, I, I didn't really feel like I came into my own though where I really wanted to be until I was uh, a financial advisor. When I went full time, all of a sudden I went, uh, I'd been making around 40000 a year at the office administration job. And the when I was working part time, I earned another twenty five on top of that, twenty five thousand on top of that, uh, doing financial ad- advice. Then when I went full time, my first year full time, I made sixty seven thousand. My second year, I made one hundred eighty seven thousand, and that's when I knew that I was on a path uh, uh, that I could actually do more than than I ever thought I could before. So let's just, you know, it's an interesting part of what I'm hearing in your journey is that at some level you were really, you had your daughter and you're going, I'm going to look after this child and I'm going to look after myself and I'm not going to do it on a meager earning. I'm going to up the game. And you had a vision somewhere along the line. Now you left home quite young. You're on your own. You get your first job. And as somewhere along the line, you had the realization that this is not enough. I need to up my game because you got your grade 12, you finished grade 12 or some version of grade 12. And then you said, you know, something, this is not going to be enough for me. I need to expand on what I know. And that's when you went looking for your job for administration or you started doing, you went back to school. What? Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, while I was working at the doctor's office, and this is when I was living in subsidized housing and my daughter was in subsidized daycare, I, I knew I wanted more uh, and I knew I couldn't do it unless I educated myself more. So I actually started taking correspondence courses, um, you know, the ones that used to find on the back of matches or something. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I signed up and I, I remember paying, I think it was $25 a month for my first course, which was... Um, a secretarial course where you learn how to type and all that kind of stuff. And then you know, see, I'm dating myself. A lot of people just have keyboards. What's a typewriter? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and then my second course was bookkeeping because um, I thought, oh, well, and at that time in the clinic, there was a lady that made uh, quite a bit more money than I did, uh, and she was the bookkeeper. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe that's what I should do, do the bookkeeping. And I didn't like the bookkeeping in high school, so then I got a bookkeeping course. And uh, and then, uh, then, again, by correspondence, I took an office administration course, and I had to go down to the university and, and write the exam. But, yeah, it was all self-study because... I couldn't, uh, well, I had a daughter at home in the evening, so I couldn't go out and take classes because then I would have had to pay for a babysitter and I couldn't afford that. And because here I am making like slightly better than minimum wage. The only babysitter I could afford was my parents because they were free. And uh, and, then they, and she spent a lot of time with them too, which was a, a good thing for her. 
because she had had a, some solidness, solid background there. But yeah, it was all self-study. And, and to this day, uh, I've, I've never went and taken university classes. It's always been online. Well, nowadays it's online. I do a lot of online studying. Uh, but it's always been like weekend here, weekend there, or classes and books and, and stuff like that. It's never been a, an official class. So over all these years, you're still, what I'm hearing, you remain a voracious learner and studier of whatever that you're looking at and all these years later. So you haven't stopped and go, I've got this figured out. You're constantly learning. Constantly learning. You know, that I think even back when I was in grade school, I love learning. I love learning new stuff. I love meeting new people. Uh, I still remember one of my high school teachers who who I barely passed his class, I think, with a 50. It was social studies. And um, I, I remember running into him one time. He came to the city with my brothers. And I said to him, did you ever think that I would become successful one day? Because I remember how, how much I struggled in his class. I think he just passed me because he liked me. And uh, he said, you know, Edna, he said, I actually used to think if you could find something where you could use your social skills, that you would do fine. So it doesn't surprise me, he said, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool, but never thought about it at the time. Well, what I know about you, I mean, you're you're quick to laugh. You're really enjoyable to talk to. Your energy is always really awesome. Have you always been that way? Have you... Was that just a part of your character or was that something that you have evolved and that you've worked on and focused on? Or did you always have a pretty good attitude of life in spite of all of the things that, you know, being a young mother brings with it in terms of pressure? It sounds like your parents were very supportive of you at that time. Is that the case? When when I was a teenager and into my early 20s, I'm very negative. I, 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 I did have some of that in my family and I think it was just... I'm not knowing any better. Uh, that's how people talk. They complained all the time. And and I had a negative attitude. And I think I was always quick to laugh and have fun. I always like to do that. But um, I actually had at one point to really distance myself from my hometown because I, I needed to, to be in a more positive environment. And to this day, I really protect uh, who I'm around because I don't like listening to complaining because I can get drawn into it so easy. So I, I love to be around positive people and, and people who are moving forward in their lives and and not talking about other people unless it's to say how great they're doing, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so that was something I had to train myself on to really step out of my comfort zone and get around people who at the beginning weren't easy for me to be around because I, I would complain and then I would kind of feel judged and, and I'd think, oh, who the hell are you? You know, <laughs> that was my attitude. But man, that that's the best thing to do is to get around people who you you admire in, in personality and then just start picking up things that they do and, and things that they don't do, like complain. And uh, that that makes such a difference. So, so I focus on that even to this day. I love being around people who are uh, upbeat and positive and fun and, and growing, always growing. Oh, it's interesting. A good friend of ours and a guy who we've done some work with uh, over the years, uh, Dr. Paul Stoltz, uh, some members who, RAIN members who might be listening to this might have heard or, or recall some of the presentations that Dr. Paul Stoltz put on. But it, it's interesting when I hung out with Paul a lot, and one of the things that we conversed about, I actually witnessed it happening. 
And that was that he has zero time for somebody who isn't being a contribution in his life. So if they're an energy leak constant and he assesses it very quickly and he is so direct as, you know, I was actually uncomfortable sitting next to him while he's on the phone with this guy where he just said, you know, there's nothing that you bring to this relationship and I don't see a point in us having any more conversation around it. And uh, it's been great knowing you, but you got to go. And I was like, holy cow, there's a guy who just lives it and he just has no room for it, zero tolerance for complaining and gossip. He will not stand for it. And uh, so it's just an interesting part of it. I know my wife and I, uh, wife Stephanie and I have that in our own lives. We, and just no gossip, no complaining. We really tighten it up, but it's hard work. You really, because you can get caught in it, right? It's very easy to do. Absolutely, yeah. Now, when you talk about what you've learned along the way in terms of the professional development you've done, because you were a, uh, you became a financial advisor. Is that the right term? Yeah. So you, you went to school for that with one of the companies that you worked with. They actually gave you a pretty big kind of boost up because you did some work with the company that you were working with. Give me a little bit more about that one again. That, you know what, that was a huge boost for me. I worked at K-Line for eight years and my boss was just fantastic. You know, he, he was really good with me. He allowed me to learn. He allowed me to uh, make mistakes and, and never, never was down on me about that kind of stuff. It was just learning curves. And, and he really built my confidence. Like he, he used to say to me, man, Edna, if I had guys on the field like you are, uh, I'd put all women out in the field instead. And, you know, and so he just, he just built me up made me feel really good and and just it really gave me the confidence to try more in my life. He, he gave me a lot of respect, uh, allowed me to, like I said, learn in there. At one point, um, when he knew I was studying to be a financial advisor, if my work was done, he didn't mind if I studied my books at school I, or at work. I asked him and he said, oh yeah, absolutely. If your work's done, uh, you go ahead. And he never had to worry about whether my work was done or not. And uh, and so shortly after I became a financial advisor part-time, he allowed me to set up a group plan at the office. I got an instant 100 clients. And it was a mandatory plan, so they had no choice but to contribute 3% of their income because there was no pension plan at the uh, private construction company. There was at South Power and stuff like that, and they were losing a lot of their guys to places like South Power, and they wanted to keep them. And they thought maybe by giving them a pension plan and making it mandatory, it would, it would help. And uh, those clients were with me the whole time I was financial advisor. I'm still friends with a bunch of them. But that really made a difference. And uh, and I still remember when I left, uh, I'd studied and I, I actually became a certified financial planner. And so he knew I was probably going to leave. And he said to me, all I ask is that you give me lots of notice because it's going to be hard to replace you. So I gave him about six months notice. And uh, I still remember the last day he took me for lunch and, and with tears in his eyes, he, he told me how much he enjoyed working with me and, and really wished me luck and told me if I ever, ever needed a job again, he would make one for me. So that really helped me too, because it was scary to go from a full-time salaried income into straight commission. Sure. In all the professional development you did, were you also becoming more and more aware of your own identity, your own character, how you were showing up. You know, you talk a little bit about cutting out the complaining and the gossip and surrounding yourself with the right people. Did you have to let go of some 
what you considered close friends at the time who just didn't understand how that worked or how was that part of it for you? Because when we talk about creating great wealth now in the context of the everyday millionaire, of course, is less than 1% of the population has what would be called a millionaire status, which is investable assets of a million dollars, not including your residence. And so it takes a certain character. It takes a certain uh, level of understanding to achieve that. My question for you, I go back is, did you do lots of professional or personal kind of development work? Were you pretty reflective of who you were being and how you were being, Edna? Absolutely. You know, I still remember a friend of mine uh, who I used to look up to because she had a great government job making, you know, fifty, seventy-five thousand 75000 a year because we, we hung around together for a long time. So I watched her go up. And she used, to, she used to say, yeah, she says, I read all the same books as Edna, but I never did the exercises. <laughs> and, and so, you know what, to this day, when I get a book, I do the exercises too. I, I love, I love that. Uh, I love that side of life. I love getting to getting to understand uh, more ins and outs of, of what uh, makes me happy. Because uh, I, I honestly believe that you have to make yourself happy before you can make anyone else happy around you. And, um, and, and I had to learn that. I used to think it was somebody's uh, responsibility to make me happy. Like, uh, you know, explaining why I never got married till I was 40 years old. It was like, yeah, there was nobody who could make me happy. It was like, hey, you're not making me happy. <laughs> you know, so that sort of thing. It's funny when you reflect on it. But um, personal growth is huge. I studied Jim Rohn. I studied, uh, you know, Brian Tracy. And, and I still quote those guys to these day, this day. I used to, to get myself out of my negativity, I used to put sticky notes all over my mirror. And it would say, you know, something positive. I can't remember what it was, something about how you talk to yourself. And I still remember my oldest daughter's uh, girlfriends that would come over to the house. They, they would laugh about that. And they would they still talk to me years later about how, you know, they now do that because they see me do that. And they would try to tease me about it. And I'd say, hey, it works. Just try it sometime. And uh, so, yeah, really, really learning how to talk to myself first because I used to beat up myself a lot uh, for what I didn't do and, and really started concentrating on my strengths because there's certain things that aren't my strengths. Details are not my strengths. So in real estate, you know, it's very detail oriented. So I've had to bring in team members who uh, compliment me so that I can shine in my area. So yeah, lots and lots of personal development, still, still working on something every day. Uh, we all do. You know, this last 60 or 120 seconds that you talked, there was so much stuff in there. My brain's like firing all over the place because I don't want to step over <laughs> a number of things that you said. You know, first, of course, Jim Rohn, uh, Michael Gruber, um, Brian Tracy, Wayne Dyer. I mean, they were pioneers into the world of they personal were. development and, and professional yeah. development as well. So you went on that journey and went down that path. You know, something that you said was so important. And it's a lesson that I know that you as a coach probably try and get to your clients as much as you can and and you live it to the degree you can. And that is that you're not in a position to make anybody else happy or look after anybody else if you don't do that for yourself first. I just don't want to step over that. That's such a, a huge epiphany for so many people that if you are the center of your universe, in order for you to do all of the things that you need to do for those other people around you, you got to look after yourself first. 
And that is being responsible for your own happiness. It is about you. It is your uh, being responsible for your own health, your own personal and professional development. And that gives you the capacity and the energy to look after others. So, you know, that, like you say, that little two minutes that you just talked about there, I was just going, wow, there's so much good stuff in there to, to talk about. And uh, so thanks for that. And I, I want to keep going, though. Um, okay. So you, sure. so you went on the journey. You um, you were doing your personal, your professional development. You're looking after your daughter. You're you're now starting to make some good dough, and you're gaining some momentum in your life. And you didn't get married till you were forty, and you've achieved a lot as this single female in Regina, Saskatchewan. And I'm yeah. going, holy cow, good for you. That's, I mean. That's a, an enormous feat, and and how are you feeling about that? Are you are you recognizing? Are you are you being I am woman? Kind of hear me roar? Are you are you recognizing how successful you're being, or where are you in that you know in that place at that time? You know, I do recognize it because I remember when I used to make twelve hundred dollars a month, and now one one door pays me twelve hundred dollars a month. You know, <laughs> yes. so I, I absolutely recognize it. I, I still have a special spot in my heart for single moms. I, I try to help out as many as I can. I have offered my classes for free to some just to try to help them out because it's not easy being a single mom. It's probably the toughest thing I've ever done, but like I said, probably the best thing. And when you're mentioning Jim Rohn, I just got to go to the to the side for a second. Sure. One of my favorite quotes. Of Jim Rohn's was, your income will never exceed your personal development. Mm, And and to this day, that's that's one of my favorites. So personal development is a big thing for me. Uh, Thankfully, I enjoy it. I I, I enjoy that part of of my life uh, and enjoy spending time on it, enjoy teaching other people about it, because I think, uh, I don't know how many times a day I talk about putting your oxygen mask on first before you put it on your own kid even because so many people think I gotta give up everything for my kids I gotta do everything for my kids and do nothing for myself and and I don't agree with that so I think I got off on a bit of a tangent there but did I answer the question you did but it's just you know it's not a tangent you know once again it's the value of the guests that I bring on the show is how they've achieved the results that they've achieved and you know, there's so many nuggets and so much wisdom in what you've even said so far. And so from my perspective, thank you. Uh, you know, the, you're right on point. There is no tangent. So so thank okay. you for sharing where you're <laughs> at. This is, this is awesome. It's like, holy cow. Now, you know, there's, once again, we got lots of catching up to do. But was there a specific, you know, like I, I, you know, I was here in my guests and the stories and in my own life, I compare, you know, like I see where I've, when I reflect, number one, leaders do things differently. And they do, my experiences with leadership is that they do what some people would call being selfish. On the outside, it looks selfish, but it is not selfish. It is actually quite selfless because they are actually doing what they need to do in order to look after the teams that they build, the people that they surround themselves with, because they take that responsibility very seriously. And that's obviously what you've been doing and kind of living your life around. So that's really cool. Now, when you go back a little bit, obviously you became a mom at a young age, fork in the road. And then you moved off the farm and administratively you got some education, you did your thing, another fork in the road. But was there some 
forks in the road that you can really recognize where you had to make a specific decision and you look back on it now and you go, wow, I don't know where that decision came from, but I'm really glad I made it. Any of those that show up for you that you can recognize, Edna? So many, so many, it's unbelievable. And it's still happening to me to this day that I recognize forks that I've chosen. One was getting to be a financial advisor where I could finally start to see uh, the money uh, and then moving into real estate and just doing even way better at that than I ever did as a financial advisor with mutual funds. Now, my coaching practice, which I absolutely love doing, it just seems like Every single thing I ever did in my life has has led me to where I am now, and it's probably the happiest I've ever been. I love teaching students and sharing with them how to succeed, and I use everything. I use my background. I use every book I ever read and the quotes I have, and uh, and I, I don't know how many times a day I use that personal development, uh, well, or your, your income will never exceed your personal development, uh, and, and just just teaching that. I love seeing students getting um, their first property or, or their fifth and doing it with other people's money and just building up their net worth. And I finally feel like I really have something special to offer. I remember back when I was financial advisor, uh, working with a coach, which was another fork in the road, choosing to work with a coach. They used to say, well, what what's your specialty and what's so special about you and what, what should I why should I work with you as opposed to someone else? And I never had an answer. It was like, well, I'm not that special. I just, you know, people kind of like me and, and I show up when I say I'm gonna, I have integrity, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I just like people. So it's easy for me to visit with them and stuff. But, um, it, it, wasn't until I got into real estate investing and tied it in with my, I had actually became a certified coach way back the first year my second daughter was born, but didn't know how to work it. Uh, and because I made too much money in financial services, it seemed silly to get into coaching, which didn't pay very well. But now when I can combine the three, which is the real estate, the financial advice and the coaching all in one, now I really do feel like I've got something special to offer. And and coaching is one of the biggest things. I started coaching while I was a financial advisor with a fellow called Dan Sullivan, sure. strategic coach. You've heard of him? Oh, yeah. I mean, Dan's almost iconic. You know, he's been around. It's like he's been around. Oh. I, I go out, sometimes I go, it's Dan 100 because I keep running into all these people that have done a lot of work with Dan. I've certainly well read with Dan Sullivan, but he's been around a long time and his yeah. work is just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you know, when I worked with him, he, he had this premise to either double your income or double your time off because, uh, that, that was a big thing. I was working all the time. That was before my, my daughter was born, the one that's 15. And I, I worked evenings and I worked weekends and I just worked because I, I loved it. I, I loved making the money. I loved being around the people. And so my goal when I worked with him was to double my income, of course, right? Well, in reality, what ended up happening is uh, I got married in, I, I started coaching with him in 99, got married in 2000, 2002, my daughter was born. And you know what? I never went back to work for a whole year, whereas I thought I'd be a six-week person off, off work for six weeks. And I never went back more than three days a week ever again ever until I got actually into real estate when the girls were older. So that, that was a fork in the road dealing with the coach and learning that how really how much free days are important 
uh, not just all focus days, mine were focus, focus, focus. And that was one of the things he taught, free days, focus days, and then buffer days. And book your free days first. And I coached with him for about three years. But you know what? I have never been without a coach since. I'm always working with someone because I believe that it's the fastest way, your fastest path to growth is working with a coach who helps you reflect. And also, um, I've studied with a lot of coaches who are building businesses that I'd like to emulate. And that those are big, big, big shortcuts for me. You know, that's first and foremost, that's that's really interesting. I've, I go through maybe short periods of time where I don't have a coach, but I've always got a coach. And I change because I either outgrow the coach or just life changes or whatever happens. But I go on to what you know, what I need given where my own growth is and where my own focus changes. And of course, as we age, you know, our focus changes and as our businesses grow, what we need to be, how we need to show up. So you're like that. You've always had a coach. You've always had some guidance. I've got a whole bunch of directions I want to take this, but I'm going to, I want to keep, get this is such an interesting part. And I think it's so important. Uh, I want to find out number one, how you got into real estate. But first, before I go back there, I want to go back to the coaching because one of the things that you said is that some of the coaches were, you know, business coaches, depending on what you're developing. But how much time did your coach actually spend on the how to do your business versus how you need to show up and do your business? Was there, you know, I call them how-to coaches, which is are really relevant if you're looking for somebody as a, in a specialty of a how-to. But did you find that with your coaches or the work that you were doing, it was really on how, who you had to be and how you had to be as a leader and, and a business owner? Well, I think every coach uh, I've ever dealt with has has that portion. It just seems it, it's natural. I know I do it with my students, too. If you're not growing personally, you can't grow your business. I, I honestly believe that. And if you're not willing to put some time in on that, you're, there's going to be one of two things happen to you. You might get wealthy, but you're not going to be happy. And one of the things that's always been a goal of mine is, is three things, healthy, wealthy, and wise. I, I don't want to be one without the other. And some people, you know, they get the wealth and they have no health. And, and to me, it's like, what's the point? What's the point of having all that, all that wealth if you don't have health or if you don't have love, you don't have your family, you're, you've alienated all your family, stuff like that. I think just about every coach, because I usually do choose one who's teaching me something about my business, but just about every one I've ever had has the personal part on it too. Uh, and what I'm working with right now is very much on the spiritual side, which is something I haven't explored a whole lot. And I'm so enjoying that. It, it's amazing. And and yet if I would have tried to do that five years ago, I probably wouldn't have been ready for it. Wow. Okay. So now you just opened up a whole different door, but I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't want to go there. I won't go there just yet. So that's great. So thanks for that. Cause I think it's just such an important part of understanding and, and what I take away from what you say. And I really agree with, cause I've experienced that and I hear that time and time again with others. And that is you have to show up differently to go to the next level. You can't be the same person that is moving forward as you were when you were still where you were at. You know what I'm saying? You have to grow with your own doingness of things and that what you're taking on you know, the person that raises, you know, in, in terms of raising capital, 
the person that raises $10,000 has to shift and be somebody different. And I don't mean be somebody different, but show up differently to raise a hundred thousand or a million dollars. How you occur has to change and you have to be willing to look at yourself and say, how am I showing up and how am I doing that? So a really valuable lesson in all of that. So take me back a little bit, Edna, when did you start? Because my thought process would be that there was a fork in the road when you went into real estate, but what got you into real estate? Where did that journey, because you're making good dough, you're making, you know, pretty, pretty big money as a financial advisor. You've got a great following, you know, I mean, at that point I'm going, what the heck you're, you're making big money. You got a big following. And all of a sudden, you know, now this many years later, you're into real estate. So tell me a little bit about that journey. Sure. Well, uh, I I was uh, working as a financial advisor. I really didn't like all the ups and downs of the market. I, I felt I just felt terrible if the if the market went down and people were getting ready to retire and they couldn't. Uh, and I always felt this sense of responsibility for everyone too, of course, which is not easy on the psyche. And of course, all our money was in mutual funds too, because I didn't even understand real estate. Like I said, I thought. Three percent a year? Who do that? It doesn't even make any sense. And and then I had a couple of clients in talk to me that they were looking at real estate and dabbling and asked a few questions. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe we should just look at it because uh, some people are. Maybe we'd find it interesting. I was looking to find uh, another stream of income because I didn't want everything to be tied to mutual funds. Because if the markets were doing really good, I made X. If the markets were down, I still made good because we got a lot of service fees and and ongoing monthly fees, which I loved, which is why I learned about passive income. But uh, the the ups and downs was what was getting to me. So we we signed up for a course three day weekend in Saskatoon and went and we sat through three days and and got to understand the power of real estate. And we started uh, working in it then. And and I still uh, worked my financial planning practice. Although at this time, I was down to one day a week. Uh, I had a really good assistant. Uh, I was consistently making $250,000 a year. So it was easy for me to pay her. I think I paid around $40,000 a year. And I I came into the office once a week to see clients. And she managed it uh, four days a week. And then she didn't work Fridays either. And uh, I, I was building my real estate business, and I was—I couldn't raise capital at the time, but I was networking and I was making partners with people who could. Our goal was to own 50 doors in five years because we thought we've kind of been taught that if we got $100 cash flow a property, we should buy it. So we thought, okay, well, if we buy 50 doors in the next five years, that'll give us 5,000 a month. And and that's just the cash flow. We knew all the rest that we would get, but that that would be really key. And when we hit that goal in 18 months, I knew I couldn't sell mutual funds anymore. I just couldn't. And shortly after that, my um, my assistant decided to retire and move away to the lake. And I knew I absolutely couldn't do it without her because she'd been looking after for the past year. She'd been looking after my clients mostly. Uh, she was licensed. And uh, I, I just didn't want to have to work that anymore. So I put my practice up for sale, sold it. Uh, I got my, I, I took my first real estate class in June of 2007, sold my practice. Uh, and like I said, I was making an average of 250000 a year. And I sold it in September of 2009. So did you approach your real estate with the same 
gusto. I mean, you, you probably came into real estate off of the momentum that you had and lessons you'd learned in the financial planning or fa- financial advisory capacity. So did you just come right out of the gate going, we're going to turn this into a whole new business and I'm going to own the asset. I'm going to live off the cash flow, and we're going to just create this 50 doors in 18 months. I mean, that's quite an achievement at any time. And now you're married at this time. Are you, have you got your yeah. husband along your side? And what was his yeah. background? What did, what did he, so what did your husband bring to the table now? Is he following in your wake or what's he doing? <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, uh, we decided to take classes together. He was a truck driver. By that time, our girl, my, our oldest girl was five and our youngest was three. And he didn't want to truck drive anymore. He was gone a lot. You know, he, he loved spending time with us and the girls. And he didn't want to be gone as much. So he decided he wanted to do something different. So the first year when we were taking all our classes, he came every every time. And today, he, he still does a little bit of trucking, not very much. So he primarily looks after all the, the maintenance side of our buildings in, in Regina. Uh, so most of our buildings aren't in Regina. They're in South Petun and LaRange. But the few that we have here, um, which would be probably about a hundred doors here, he looks after all the repairs and maintenance side. Like he doesn't, he does, he does some. Like he'll do a flooring or he'll do a little bit here and a little bit there. But he he looks after most of the guys that are working on that kind of stuff for us. Yeah, he's generally he's the general on on all of the stuff that you're yeah. doing. So he's bringing and making yeah. sure that's. And and then we also own uh we we're fifty percent owners in a small home building business, custom homes, and we do renovations and and insurance work and stuff. And he he works with that a lot too. So you've got fifty doors that you've bought in eighteen months. You're now married at forty, is I think is what I heard. Uh, yeah. You're getting into real estate, you know, in two thousand and seven, and along the way you've had two more daughters. So you're. You're uh, just a going concern. You're a whirlwind of stuff happening. And, <laughs> and so that's, that's awesome. You know, when we talk about success in your relationship with your husband, how big a deal was that to have him? Along you know what? Uh, this is one of the reasons why I didn't get married till I was 40. I, I always seemed to attract guys that were trying to tell me what to do. And you know what? In my world, that didn't work. It just didn't work. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised was... by that, Edna. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, it was silly things. Like, oh, you can't go uh, away on a weekend sales trip with some, with, with some guys. And I'm going, what do you mean? Like, I, I've known these guys longer than I've known you. If I wanted to date them, I would already <laughs> been dating them. And yeah, I get cracked like that. He was never like that. He always let me be me. Uh, he liked me just the way I was. He didn't try to change me. Uh, he's quite a bit younger than me, so that could be part of it. He's an absolute awesome dad. Like, he's so good with the girls. Uh, our, our girls wouldn't be the girls they are if it wasn't for him. He, he's awesome. He's patient. He's kind. Uh, he's, he's nice. And he supports me in whatever I want to do. And that's got to be the biggest thing. He never tries to hold me back. He, he just lets me go, which is, which is really what I need to have in my life. So lots of trust there. You know, I go back, you know, my wife, Stephanie was a coach in the NHL for a number of years. So when we were, you know, first together 25 years ago, she's skating with young hockey players. She's in the NHL teaching young players and, you know, people, she's athletic, she's attractive, she's doing all those things. And people are saying to me, you know, don't you worry about 
you know, wealthy young hockey players and your wife. And I'm going, that's not even a second thought for me because of the relationship that we have. I would never consider that. As a matter of fact, I encouraged her even more to grow that part of her business, which she did. So I understand, you know, where you're coming from when you talk about what you need. You're just one of those individuals, in this case, woman that needed to, you know, be supported by a guy in behind the scenes, maybe a little bit more than uh, along your side or even in front of you. So that's a that's an interesting and consistent lesson I hear from people all the time is the significant other and in, in being supportive in that way. And he sounds like he was that all along. All along and, and still to this day, you know, like, he knows, like, I'm off having coffee with this guy and that guy. And it's always business. There's never anything personal. And he just, he just says, oh, how'd your call go today? How'd your coffee go today? You know, he never has a thought. And I mean, he shouldn't. We've been together now over 20 years. And uh, and, and he's learned. Like, there's just, there's, it, there's lots of integrity. And, and I'm like that through and through. So there's just nothing to worry about. But I, you can't. Yeah, monitor my every move. It would just be silly. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting that message loud and clear, Ed, and I love it. So the, I guess you know, in the in the, because relationships are so important, and you know, I know the listeners. When we have these kinds of conversations, it's what can we take away and what can we share with uh, listeners that is of value. Did you and your husband was that a you? I want to say, do you work on your relationship? I mean, are you pretty conscious about? how you're being with each other in terms of the conversations and are you pretty clear in your communication? Is there some method to your success in your relationship? Yeah. You know, we're, we're respectful, uh, him way more than me. I still don't work on that. Uh, cause sometimes I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to do whatever. He's more, Oh, well, should we do this or should we do that? And, mm-hmm. uh, so, so respect is a big thing. And you know what? I still just like him. Uh, I liked him before I married him. I still like him. Uh, and, and that's probably the biggest thing. Oh, we have our challenges. There's no doubt about that. But, um, yeah, we, we, I'd say consciously we do. We, we're conscious of what we talk about in front of the kids and, and we're conscious of growing them into, uh, upstanding adults. We don't want them to be, uh, you know, the spoiled little rich kids, that sort of thing. And believe me, there's a lot of that going on in the area we live in. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely conscious about it. And, you know, he studies stuff too. Like he's always reading a book and, and he doesn't do the online stuff as much as me because he doesn't like to be in, in front of the computer indoors much, but he's always reading a good book and he's learning about meditation and stuff like that. So yeah, he's, he's open to all that. That's great. So when you look back and you started your real estate journey and you got your 50 doors and you went, holy cow, this is, you know, I've got something going on here. Where did you start to go from there? Were you, then you said, well, we have to raise capital or how did you start to design your plan or what did you work backwards from in terms of what you wanted to achieve from there? Well, uh, one of the main reasons that I ended up uh, selling my financial planning practice is I got approached by a group about setting up our own fund, uh, a real estate fund. And I knew that if I was going to be raising capital at that level, I couldn't do it while I was uh, a licensed financial advisor. So I gave up my license and everything to move out uh, into the into the real estate world. In 2008, yes, yeah, so in 2007, we bought... Uh, 
two condos and a and a up down duplex. In 2008, we bought a, a another condo because we were able to refinance out our money on the first two condos, and we bought a third one. Then we moved straight into an apartment building, and and we bought a 24 unit apartment building to condo convert. And at this point, we'd met another couple who um, were experienced in property management. They'd done that for two years. And we knew that if we wanted to get into uh, multifamily, we needed to have a property manager. And of course, we couldn't afford to pay one, so we had to have a partnered one. <laughs> and, you know, that was one of the another really great things that happened to us, too, because when we started, we, we took, took education and that was one thing, but buying a property and learning about how, how to buy a property is two different things. You, you can you can sit in classroom and learn all day long, but till you actually make the purchase, it's just not real. And so we started making purchases with them. And uh, that was a big thing, joint venturing with other people who had more experience than us just forced us into thinking differently right away. And that's one of the things that I teach in my classes is, you know, joint venture with people senior to you. That will be the biggest learning curve you can ever go on. You know, like we provided the networks, we had some capital, we had access to investors, but we didn't have the experience. So really we were both, we were ideal partners for each other. They, they had more experience. They bought some properties. They'd already raised some capital. They had the property management experience and we just brought, brought that to a whole nother level. Another level. Uh, so I really like encouraging that sort of thing, joint venturing with people who have more experience than you do. It, it just, it, it takes the, takes a lot of the risk away. Now, you became a RAIN member back in uh, 2007. You're coming up on 10 years of being a a RAIN member. Now, you're in Regina, so I know that you came to a couple of the conferences. Do you use the community? How do you you leverage the community as somebody living in another province, given that we don't yet have uh, RAIN as a live audience kind of scenario in Regina? So how do you work with the community in that regard? You know, uh, I I started back when you guys only handed out the CDs every month, and I look forward to getting them every single month, listening to start to finish every month. I never miss, and and uh, we've made it to the odd meeting just because it's so far away. It's hard for us to to do it, but sure. the value in those and and you know to this day I still get the CDs because um, I look forward to getting in my vehicle. It gives me a reason to drive. Uh, and I always have to go pick my kids up every day from school and, and you know, go back and forth to the city because we're outside a little bit. And uh, it's just easier for me to listen to them in my vehicle because I'm 100% concentrating on them. Whereas if I'm home and I'm listening to a webinar, I'm always doing paperwork or something at the same time. So I've learned a lot and I've shared what I've learned with the team members that we brought on, like everything from property management to insurance. I've always said, like, who wouldn't be a RAIN member? The insurance on two properties alone cover my monthly membership. Like, it, it's it's just smart business. And that, and I don't even utilize half of what you guys offer. But there's, it, RAIN's powerful. The next thing that we're doing is I, I actually have 11 people registering. So we're going to do the real estate investment advisor together, uh, all in a room to get it done in two days. So that's another thing that you guys offer that I, I was thinking I had to. Sure, the REIA program. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah, cool. We're really excited. Awesome. Now, you've got quite a lot going on. You own a large portfolio. Just 
to give listeners some context for what do you have for your team? You've got you and your husband that are doing what you're doing, and he's kind of running some renovation. He's run, managing crew. Do you have full-time staff that are working with you? Do you have a full-time bookkeeper, accountant? What is that for you now? Yeah, just this year, I brought on a full-time bookkeeper before I was doing a lot of it myself and uh, not doing a very good job of it. I kept falling down and, and I've always had two different accounts, one that kind of did the day-to-day stuff and then the, the big group that kind of looks after all our corporations and sure. runs the money down and stuff like that. But um, uh, I've always had somebody, but not full-time till this year. And so I have her doing full-time. My, my oldest daughter uh, is now full-time with the business too, and she does all the property management side. Uh, and then she's got to help her too, uh, that, that we pay through, through payroll, but she actually works direct with Dawn. And, um, so, uh, yeah, so full-time bookkeeper, we, we, I wouldn't say we have full-time maintenance. We have a guy that does a lot of work for us. He's a very good worker, but the minute he does his work, he wants to get paid. And it works good for us because he's low, like low, low charge. He charges us low amount, but that's probably why he can't get other kinds of jobs is because the minute he's done his work, he wants the, the check. And we're good with that because the, the prices are low, right? And he does good work. <laughs> uh, you know, he does great work, yes. But for some reason, he has that money challenge, and he can't uh, can't go out, you know, every two weeks to get paid. He wants paid as soon as his job is done. And like I said, it works great for us because we get cheap work, and and he's he's very good working with my husband. And then the rest of stuff like plumbing and and all that, we just we just have um, hired out different people that we've got some good rates with, and that we we keep using over and over again. That's great. I want to go back a little bit. I want to know more about Edna and kind of your journey along the way. But as I sit and listen to you speak today and a little bit of background that I know of you, you've achieved some great net worth. You've got a great marriage and three wonderful daughters. And so it all sounds pretty great. Like, but how do you now, how do you define success? You know what? I have a mantra. It's called learn, grow, share. And as long as I'm learning, as long as I'm growing as a person and as long as I get to share what I'm learning with other people, I'm on cloud nine. Uh, that, that's what I, I like to do. So if I can learn and, and I love learning, I'm learning, I'm on something every single day, uh, growing uh, because it's not about just absorbing it in, in one ear and out the other. I actually learn, learn stuff that I want to put into my life and and then being able to share that growth with other people is is really powerful for me. Do you see, you know, you're you're coaching, you're doing a you know, you you've got classes, you're supporting others to win along the way. Do you see some commonality with your clients that you run across? I mean, I do with rain members because we've been doing this a long time, so I see trends. I see, you know, there's only so many problems in any given day or in, in any given world of real called real estate. Do you see some commonalities that, you know, you kind of show up for people for you as a coach with people? One of the biggest things that I see is people trying to do it all themselves. The Lone Ranger types, you can't grow a decent portfolio if you're a Lone Ranger. Uh, first of all, you're not going to attract many investors because if it's just all about you, what if something happens to you? You know, you got to have a team that people can rely on. Some are better at one thing, some are better at another. So going alone is probably the worst thing. 
another big one that I see and something that I think really limits a person's growth when they get into real estate is deciding to manage their own properties. Um, if we would have taken on our first four properties and managed it ourselves, we might have been stuck there because I see so many people getting stuck at about four properties because they insist on doing everything themselves. They do all their own bookkeeping, they do all their own repairs, maintenance, and they find the tenants. If you've got a full-time job and you're doing that, there's no way you can buy more than four properties. Or I shouldn't say no way. There's very few that can. So that's probably the second thing is trying to do their property management themselves. And then the third one is not hiring a coach. Like I love take short take shortcuts. And if I had paid twenty thousand dollars to learn from somebody in a in a year, they pay for themselves over and over again. So I guess we would call that educating or investing in themselves. A lot of people, I don't know if they don't um, believe in themselves enough to educate uh, themselves, but that that's probably number three. Yeah, Edu- uh, believing in yourself enough to put some money in in your in your head. <laughs> well, I think that that also speaks a little bit to coaching as well. Is that I mean, it's classic case of we are generally the only ones that get in our own way. And we get in our own way because of the stories we tell ourselves about what we, what we can or can't do. And, and, and we operate on top of that until sometimes that's what a coach is really all about is just pointing out to you what your strengths or your weaknesses are, what you need to work on and, you know, maybe what you're working too much on and uh, giving you a direction there. We talk a lot about vision, you know, when you're talking to coaches, they talk about vision, they talk about mission. You know, you came off the farm and you're all, you know, your biggest vision was I'm not working the farm. You know, that was your, that was your why, I, you know, I'm not washing lawn, doing laundry and cleaning my house. I'm, you know, I got to make enough money to get that. But when you look at your yeah. vision for your life now with a family and cause our visions change, our values change and what we want to focus on and what we want to grow into, they work with our life. Do you have a vision for your life? Is that something that you and your family share and, and work on or what is it for you? Yes. Time freedom is one of our biggest things. Uh, we were, our kids are at that age where we're, we're chasing them around for everything. They got dance and they got ball and they got cheer and gymnastics and all this kind of stuff. So band and, and you know, we we're, we can always go to every one of their concerts, every one of their dance. I think Warren's the only dad in the whole dance club that never misses a dance, you know? And uh, we, we love that. We, we love being able to hang out with our family. We've got a great uh, group of neighbors here that we live beside that we get together with quite often uh we, we love to give back like i like as i was telling you earlier I, I absolutely love and i get so excited when i'm working with a student to help them buy a property more exciting i think than when i was doing it for myself uh, we, we want uh, our girls to contribute to society we, uh, they're the oldest one or the middle one now is, is just looking for her first job because uh she she to think we were going to buy her a car, and I was telling her, "No, no, you know, we're not buying you a car. Uh, you know, we might help you buy one, but you're going to be making the payments. You better. Oh, but so and so has a car, and so and so's parents bought them a car, and stuff like this. So we we don't want them to be, um, I guess, useless members of society. So that's a really big thing for us. We want to 
teach them proper values. And and so far, they've been just amazing. They're even at 13 and 15, they, they just give us no hassle at all. We travel with them. It's, it's lots of fun. We're not getting any pullback from them wanting to come with us, which is awesome. And we, like you guys, uh, our charity of choice is Habitat for Humanity. So we're always working towards stuff for them. Our, our goal is that we want to build our own house for them within the next year or two. And so uh, that, that's another thing that we're working towards. And I'm just being a good neighbor, a good, uh, good community member, that sort of thing. As parents, we all run into it where peer pressure and kids comparing themselves to another. But, you know, it isn't with the social media these days, and I see it often and I, you know, I watch as like, you know, I'm like anybody else. I pay attention to social media. I, I work with it a little bit. What's your message to maybe even some of your coaching clients around how they're comparing themselves to others? So what's your guidance to others who, you know, compare themselves to others, you know, especially with what's going on on Facebook, those moments in time that, you know, show up as a picture and, you know, seems to describe everybody's life when we know it's only a moment in time. Do you have some coaching around that? Yes. I think anybody tries compares themselves to somebody else in, in a group. Like I've got a mastermind group and, and some of them are just smoking and just doing awesome things. And other, other ones are just taking their time. It's not quite of a priority for them. They're, you know, and then they, they compare. So yeah, a lot of times you got to point out the difference. One's able to do it full time. The other one isn't able to do it full time. That makes a big difference. One is an outgoing personality who's already got experience in sales. And another one only ever did clerical work like that. Those are big differences. Even if it's just a couple years worth of sales, it's, it's a big difference. So yeah, you really got to point out uh, at the comparisons and, and, and try to get people to just compete with themselves as opposed to competing with others because the stories are always so different. And, you know, it, this is kind of a classic example. Like I wasn't a rock star in high school. I, I barely passed and, and, and I like school, but I like the social aspect of school more. And there were kids that peaked in high school. Uh, and, and those those ones that you're comparing yourself to may be the very ones that peak in high school. Mm-hmm. And you may not peak till you're like with myself. I'm over 50. I, I, I'm just feeling like I'm coming into my own now. And you know what? Everybody's different. Uh, I'm glad I didn't peak in high school. Oh, my gosh. That would be so disappointing for me now that I know what I know. But but there's people that have. They, all they can talk about is, oh, when I won that football game back when I was in grade 12 and they're 50. And it's like, really? You haven't done anything since then? You know? Yeah, what have you so, done lately, right? Yeah, what have you done lately? So uh, I, I like to bring that out of my girls too. Like I'm always challenge, challenging them to be better and get better and do better. And I'm proud to say they, they do. I, I, like, I really like that. So do you ever wake up in the morning and go, I've made it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting that from you, but I still wanted to ask the question. Has the past, <laughs> has the thought been, has it, has, it, has it been a fleeting thought for you? Have you ever looked at it and go, why do I do it? You know, I get, you know, it's interesting is that with the financial success that you've achieved, you show no signs of slowing down and you're, there's nothing in this conversation that would indicate that you're ever going to slow down. So what drives you, it, it, you know, because it can't be dollars and cents that drive you now. We all like to make money and 
But or is it? Maybe I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. What is it that keeps driving you, Edna? Well, you know, I, I still want to make more money. That is one of the things, there's no doubt. We've had a challenging couple of years here uh, regarding cash flow compared to even what we had before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that, that's one thing. So I still feel like there could be more. The net worth is definitely awesome. The cash flow could definitely be up there. Uh, so that's something that we're working on. But, you know, I, I say to my husband, because every once in a while he'll, he'll get on my case because I'm spending another 20000 for a coach or something like that. And, and I said, you know what? We could sell everything tomorrow and retire. But how much fun would that be? Like, what would I do? I, I don't like to party all the time. I like to have the odd drink. I like to eat out. But I, I don't want to be eating seven days a week out. I don't want to be drinking seven days a week. Like, what, what do people do? Uh, if they're not working. And and I, I love what I do. I just feel a great sense of fulfillment and uh, just being able to help other people get, get to this point and get on the path to this point it is so exciting. And I, I don't, I, yeah, I can't imagine quitting work ever. I, I love work more than anything uh, next to my family. I enjoy it. I have fun with it. Uh, my Socialness is to me is more fun in a work atmosphere than to just go even to a neighbor party. Like I, I like it, but once in a while, not it's not something I'd want to do every day. Let's go back a little bit because you know you mentioned something that's really important in the world of real estate, and that is the conversation around liquidity. Now, certainly in Western Canada, the economy has you know slowed down. You know, cash flows got lowered, cash calls having to maintain your property, do a better job. And, you know, I think that's one piece of advice that, you know, we both could give listeners that are investing in real estate, which is liquidity is everything in the world of real estate. Because at the end of the day, economies are up and the economies are down. I've got other businesses that I own and liquidity can get really stretched and you have to be prepared for it. So that risk mitigation comes into that. And so, that's kind of what you're where you're at right now as well, is that you're just being very proactive in running your business and paying attention to those details in terms of risk man- management. Would that be the case? Is, am I hearing that right? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, our cash flow is lower now than it has been in, in the, well, probably six years for sure, because we, we had such a great market here. But you know what? Uh, that, that's another reason why I uh, really push hard for my students to work on their mindset because they tell them, you know what, real estate is not easy. And if you're going to roll over the first time you have a challenge, well, good luck. Uh, you you got to roll and roll and roll and roll. <laughs> so you better get used to it. And sometimes you got to make money from a different source because it's not coming in from your real estate. Yeah, we have mortgage pay down every single year. We have um, equity appreciation. But, you know, you can't eat that. So, yeah, you, you got to roll. you got to learn. you got to pay attention. You know, even even listening to Jared, Jared Hope's um, CD, I, I listened to his interview too, but on his CD talking about the different ways to property manage to make it uh, more effective. Like, like I, I live for that kind of stuff so I can learn it, share it with my team, because it, it is about rolling with the punches and the punches never stop. Jared's uh, podcast interview that I did with him was really good about uh, he, you know, of course, Jared shares very openly his story of what he got into real estate when he had determined that he was going to live off his real estate before he was prepared to live off his real estate and uh, how that came back and 
he had to do some scrambling to uh, recover from that setback. So it's just a good lesson. Yeah. And, and I know it's not, it doesn't really, it's kind of a little bit off topic in terms of, you know, do you ever plan on retiring or, you know, how much, how much is enough and all the rest of it. But I think it's an important conversation to have with listeners that are getting into the world of real estate, because as you said, it's not easy. You have to be able to achieve some things. It's interesting. I re, you know, I recently had a conversation again with a some people that I know, and it's said different ways, but we look at what we're trying to achieve and, and we look at the top of the mountain. And if the top of the mountain was our only goal, we could just take a copter and get to it. You know, some, somewhere along the line, you have to, you really do have to enjoy the journey. You have to be up for the challenge of the journey. It's not like, you know, we're going to smell, you know, the roses along the way, and that's going to be the journey. The journey is having to put your shoulder into it, sometimes falling down, sometimes uh, having to go back before you go back up. And I hear a lot of that in what you say in your life and in your own journey of real estate investing. Is that kind of what you see from your perspective as well? And in your coaching, do you share those kinds of insights with your students as well? Absolutely, we do. Like, like I, I tell people, like we we've learned a lot of lessons the hard way, and that's another reason why I think you know experience is is such a big thing. But yeah, you you always have to be, and you have to enjoy it. That's why, like, if you find something that you really love, you can. That's why you can always be better at it because it doesn't feel like work. It's it's fun. It's uh, it's exciting. There's always fun stuff going on. And if you don't uh, enjoy it, it's going to be a really uh, rough road to hold. It, it is. So, yeah, you've got to enjoy it. Uh, otherwise, you probably will never even get that good at it. Uh, and, and it is about the journey because when you look back, some of the biggest challenges you have, end up being your biggest uh, rewards in the long run. And, you know, a lot of people think because we have money that we don't have any challenges anymore. Well, you know what? That's not true. We have challenges. We have problems. Uh, Sometimes they're cash flow problems. They're just different, and sometimes they're bigger, you know? And I know that's what I used to think when I didn't have any money, is to think, oh, once I have money, I won't won't have any problems anymore. It's not true. But uh, one, one fellow that I listened to a bit is Dean Graziosi, and he said, if you can write a check to solve a problem, it's not a problem. I love that. So with me, that was housekeeping, all that kind of stuff. I got those problems off my desk. I don't have to worry about those. But I have other problems. Like I got to make sure the cash flow is there to pay for all the bills every month uh, and to pay for the staff because uh, we've always believed in paying our staff before we pay ourselves. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. You have to look after your group. You have to look after yourself too, but you have to look after your group of people Good times and bad, because otherwise you're not going to have a team when when it comes back to being a good time. So yeah, there, there's so many things to learn. You, you gotta you gotta roll with the punches, and and your problems don't go away; they just change. So when you know when things when you've got these problems happening, you know when you know when everything's hitting the fan and everything seems to be going wrong. What's your self talk around that, Edna? How are you kind of dealing with it mentally and emotionally? You know, I used to say, why is this happening to me? And a coach that I work with started making me change that thought to, why is this happening for me? What do I need to learn? Mm -hmm. And so now, the quicker I can get into that state of mind thinking, what do I need to learn from this challenge? 
the faster I learn from that challenge. I don't let myself sit there and wallow in it. So, so that's probably the biggest thing is, is just realize it. It's a challenge. But instead of saying, I can't, or my God, or this is terrible, this is awful, it's what can I learn from this and how can I get past it as quick as possible? I'd like to ask the question, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions kind of back to back as we kind of wind down a little bit. If you could look back now, because you recall very clearly who you were when you were 20 and a single mom and what you were going through, if you could look back now and give your 20-year-old self some advice, would there be some advice that you would give yourself now? Yes. I would get out of my small town quicker than I did and get around people who are doing what I wanted to do. I didn't realize it was that easy. If you got around people who are doing what you want to do, you're just automatically drawn into that circle. I wallowed in um, really kind of self-pity way too long. Like, oh my gosh, I'm a single mom. You know, people are probably right. Who am I to think I can make more money? Who am I to think I'm good enough to, you know, do stuff? I mean, I've had goals way back before even knew what a mentor was, that I wanted to mentor and coach people eventually. Mentor was my biggest word because I didn't even really understand what a coach was and had no idea how I would how I would do that. And uh, yeah, so I, I would just say, you know what? Do everything you did, but do it faster. Because well, I work at one company, I worked at the clinic for eight years where it was a, really a dead-end job. Got on, moved to K-Line for eight years. That wasn't such a dead-end. I, I spent four of those years practicing to be a financial advisor. If you ever heard that expression, fail forward fast? Oh, of course. I'd probably do that more. And that's something that I encourage my students. Like, who cares if you fall on your face once in a while? Just don't make it financially destructive. Uh, and But the quicker you can learn... Uh, you know, even when I'm, I'm teaching about presenting to investors, the best way to learn is to get out and do it. And uh, if you do it 10 times, you're going to be 10 times better than if you never do it. So your 20-year-old self, you're over 50. What advice do you want to give to your, I don't know, let's say your 70-year-old self? Ah, that's a good one. You know what? Just uh, keep enjoying your life. Keep sharing with your kids. Keep your kids close. Uh, and, and, and keep them close, but let them, let them grow up and be adults of, of their, of their own. Keep contributing to the world, stay active, stay healthy. And, uh, you still have another 50 years after that. <laughs> well, you know, I was sort of that question out cause it, it was asked of me, you know, a long time ago and I like to share it. It does throw you off a little bit. It's like, Oh, I'd have to give that one some thought. What am I going to tell my 65 year old self? What would I, what, what advice do I want to give myself when I'm 65? You know, for me, I think the big one is being healthy, having a great attitude and don't grow old and surround yourself with, I love hanging out with younger people. I just do. And, you know, younger for me now is, you know, 35 and 40. That's far younger. And, and, but I also have lots of 25 year olds that I, you know, that's the one thing that rain gives me is a community of even millennials and people. So it's it, like, I've got a diverse range of people that I get to literally hang out with. And that's when I tell myself when I'm 65, don't get so old that you're not connected with, you know, that, that range of people. Cause it's very, very empowering. You know what? I totally agree with you there, Patrick. I, I love that. You know, I've got students ranging in age from 20 years old all the way up to 70. And I, I love it. And I love having everybody in the room together because everyone has a different perspective on things. 
at one of our mastermind meetings, our um, our two twenty-year-olds in our group. It was so funny. They're sitting there drinking beer with us because we're all out having supper. And he says, "Oh, look, my dad texts me a picture. He's working on my building. He's painting because they just bought a building." And I and I kind of laughed and I said, "Oh, you lucky." Buzzer, you're off drinking beer and your dad's working. And he says, yeah, I text, look, do you see what the picture I text my dad? I text him a picture of my beer. (laughs) 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 That was so funny. We just laughed and laughed. It was hilarious. But, you know, uh, we, and we're teasing them about being young and ambitious and, and, uh, and getting to hang out with us and, and, you know, not knowing that much yet because they're, they're new. And they said, yeah, that's why, that's why we hang out with all you old people so you can teach us stuff like that. You know, so it's nice that they, they think the same way. Like there's beneficial for everybody to kind of hang around together like that, I think. Oh, for sure. I'm going to go to another question in just a second. But first, I want to say, what are you what are you teaching your children about children or about money right now? What do you think? Is there one or two lessons that you're really teaching your children about money, Edna? Yeah, I, I'm teaching. I want I want them to get a job so they start uh, paying attention to what they're spending their money on. Something I incorporated not too long ago because we've kind of been free and easy with money with them. But I started making them. I said because they, when my youngest especially asked for everything, everything she wants new towels, she wants new bedding. Like I never thought about bedding and towels when I was her age, but you know, just everything. And I started making this new rule. I say, okay. I'll buy it if you pay for half. And it's amazing how many things they no longer want. The priority goes way down the list if you've got to pay. You know, it's interesting as a, as a kid growing up, I had to pay half of everything extra. You know, I had to, I had to pay for half of it. And so it, you just had to work that much harder if you really wanted it. I think I think that's a good way. Uh, and it seems to be working good with the kids too. Like the old, the, old, or the middle one, she's pretty good. She doesn't ask for as much, but I think we maybe spoke the younger one a little bit more. Just ha- had more, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, you have to. It's an, and it's an ongoing thing. You have to remind them every day, and you have to let them know what what things cost because they really don't have a clue. They don't yeah. have a clue. My kid was wanting to buy seventy dollars lipstick at the dance class the other day. And I said, you know, I'm sure we can find that cheaper at Shoppers Drug Mart. And we did. So even things like that, like don't just buy something the first time you look at it. So I guess it's the, it's the old adage of a dollar or a penny saved is a penny earned or a dollar saved is a dollar earned. You know, in these days, I guess it'd be more than that. Now, I want to, yeah. I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but that's part of how I like to do it. And it's a reflection of what goes on in my brain on any given day. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I hear a lot of negative talk about millennials and, you know, I know myself, I can be frustrated by some of the attitude, but then I, with rain members and then just people, other millennials that are in my life, I'm so inspired. I'm so blown away by attitude and who they are. And I certainly have millennials working, uh, that work with me on the team. And I've got a couple different teams, of course, in Edmonton and here in uh, Vancouver, but what's your experience with millennials? Now, as you kind of reflect as a mature, you know, business person, and you've worked with millennials, what's, what are you seeing in the world of millennials? And, and, uh, you have a a view of the world from there? You know, I, I do. I sat with people who called, uh, 
young people, lazy ass, you know, they don't, they don't know how to work nowadays. They don't have a work ethic, different stuff like that. And, you know, I listened to it and, and wasn't really sure, didn't really have an opinion. But, you know, as I've gotten to know uh, more of them in that age group, this is what, this is my take on it. You know, they watch their parents work exceptionally hard and not end up where they thought they were going to end up. And, and I mean, some of it was society. The dads worked all the time. Uh, the moms looked after the kids. And then after the moms started going to work, so the kids were left alone a lot. And these kids are saying, I don't want that life. And you know what? That's okay. They have figured out a different way. Like, there's young guys and, and young people I know that they want to work from home. They want to be there for their kids. They want to take them to the ball game. They want to be be there if they're sick. They don't want to have to get hassled because they call in sick because they want to stay home and look after their kid. And you know what? I think that's how it should be. I think we can learn from them because, yeah, our, our family did work too hard. They did spend too much time away because every everybody in society was doing that. And they're blocking at it and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And some of them, uh, they, they're taking it. They're taking their um, online courses and they're learning how to build online businesses and different stuff like that. And they're after this, uh, what they call the laptop lifestyle. And you know what? A lot of them are going to make it. I think the worst off people that uh, that we see today are the ones that have the traditional job, the job, because there's no security there at all. There's a lot more security if you've got confidence in yourself and your own abilities. You know, it's interesting what you just described is uh, Edna keeps life. And uh, I'm not working that hard. I'm getting off the farm. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And having said that, the only thing that I would add that I sometimes maybe see in the gaps is the, in, it, I think millennial or and not just millennial, I think people in general can sometimes be that instant, instant gratification that they yeah. want it all now. And, of course, you and I can sit and, you know, probably share stories about how we're a 30-year overnight success. So I think that's part of uh, the shift in society and not just in millennials because I'm I'm just amazed by some of the young people that I get to hang out with and, and get to uh, work with. And I'm always just so impressed by attitudes and what they are. If anything, it's like, can I have this now, you know? But to your point earlier, I think that what everybody – or what many need to understand is that it is actually the grind. It is actually the journey. It is the challenges that you face that make the outcome worth it. And that's where the big win is, is there a lot of gratification in, I worked my butt off to, you know, to climb this part of the mountain and I got here and that's awesome. And it's, it is the work. Yeah. And if you had, if you could do it easier, it wouldn't be nearly as gratifying. I totally agree. That's, that's why I, Tell my daughter I'm not buying your car because you'll you'll wreck it and you won't even you won't even care because you just think I should buy you a new one. But if you pay for it yourself out of your hard earned money, man, you're gonna take way better care of it and you're gonna enjoy it way more. I, I honestly believe that. I don't wanna take my kids' challenges away. I wanna I want them to have all those challenges. That's that's what life's all about. So some rapid fire questions as we wind down the show. Sure. Got to answer them honest. Okay. No holding back. Okay. What's your favorite swear word? <laughs> the F word. <laughs> <laughs> You're dropping F bombs all the time. Well, not surprising. <laughs> when you look outside of the world, not that I think you do, but should you, 
And if there was another profession that you've looked at that you'd like to attempt, do you know what it would be? A dancer. Oh, and you get to live vicariously through one of your daughters. I do. Both of my daughters are dancing. I love watching them. Yeah. I dream, dream, dream of being up on stage with them, but yeah, it doesn't happen. <laughs> That's awesome. So if heaven exists, and uh, now we're here to debate that, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Good job. Well done. Love it. Well on done, a, yeah. On a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? Uh, I'm not that weird. You know, well, maybe. Huh, <laughs> I would concur. Um, <laughs> maybe. What are you, what are you, <laughs> I'm just kidding. What are you, what are you, what are you not very good at? Because you're pretty good at a lot of stuff. What are you not very good at? I'm not good at detail and housekeeping. Uh, my, uh, if I didn't have a housekeeper coming in once a week, uh, it'd be disgusting around here. <laughs> well, it's interesting. <laughs> Stephanie and I joke that we haven't cleaned our house for 20 years. and uh, <laughs> But we live, <laughs> we're very clean and we live very clean. But uh, that we're, we're, I'm on that page too. It's not the best use of my time. Um, no, <laughs> So, uh, speaking of clean, room, desk, or your car, what do you clean first? Room, desk, or my car, my room. Your room. What's your desk like? Are you a, uh, is your... My vitamins, my water, and lots of papers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't put them away till I'm done with them. Although I am very organized. I, I, I know exactly where everything is. I don't lose anything. So. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite song? What's your favorite tune? I Can Do Anything by Headley. What's your favorite movie? Forrest Gump. Oh, you got to that one quickly. It's the only movie I've ever watched more than once, and I still <laughs> laugh at it every single time. <laughs> what are you grateful for? Oh, I, you know what? I'm grateful for so much. I, I've got such a great family. I have such a great life. I have a lot of fun doing what I do. Uh, I'm grateful. I've got some really big deals coming my way right now, so I'm really grateful about that. Uh, and I'm grateful for the people that I've surrounded myself with. Edna, I am just so grateful <laughs> for you being here today and sharing all of your knowledge and your insights, or not all of it by any stretch, but some of your uh, insights into who Edna Keep is and what you've achieved and how you did it. Lots of lessons in this podcast, lots of lessons for our listeners, and hopefully they take it and apply it. I look forward so much to uh, having more conversations with you, and I know we've talked about doing some work in the future, and uh, I I really do look forward to that, and I'm just grateful to have uh, gotten to know you at a whole new level, so thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.